This is the text that uh, we'll be using today. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'm not ashamed, are you? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. Hope you're glad to be here as well. Today we're going to be um, bringing sort of a spotlight of focus on foreign missions. And uh, we do so today because next weekend is our global outreach uh, weekend. And want you to be primed and ready for that. All right, let's pray and uh, get to work here on um, Hudson Taylor. Father, we... um, are so grateful today that we can be together in worship and that we can have a a global mindset, uh, a view of what you're doing, not just here in Indianapolis, but also around the world. And Lord, there's an obligation for us to have this kind of mindset, to realize that there are unreached people and we need to be concerned about them and need to do things to be able to reach them. And so I pray today that you would use this um, biographical sermon in the life of Hudson Taylor to be able to open our eyes and open our hearts and maybe even propel some within this very building to consider what their role is, whether it's locally as a sender or perhaps um, being the person who would be on the front lines of an unreached people group. So we pray today that you would work your will amongst us through the life and and the use of the word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hudson Taylor's Congregationalist pastor had a very important book in his hand that he wanted to give to the young Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor had asked him for this book. It was a copy of Walter Medhurst's book called China, Its State and Its Prospects. It was a very influential book that talked about the possibility of foreign missions in the country of China. The missions-minded Taylor asked a favor of the pastor by borrowing his copy of this precious book. And when the pastor inquired as to why Taylor wanted the book, he responded, because I plan to spend my life in missionary service in that land. The pastor then said, well, how do you propose to go there? To which the visionary Taylor said, I don't know. But it seems that I will do as the twelve disciples and the seventy did. I will go without purse or script relying on him who called me to supply all my need. To which the pastor put his hand on Taylor's shoulder and kindly replied, Ah, my boy, as you get older, you will grow wiser than that. Such an idea would do very well during the days of Jesus, but not now. Regarding that experience, Hudson Taylor somewhat sarcastically wrote in his autobiography, I have grown older since then, but not wiser. I am more convinced than ever that if we were to take the direction of our master and the assurance he gave to his first disciples more fully as our guide, we should find them to be just as suited to our times as they were to those who were originally given. Hudson Taylor was a man of profound faith. 
Last year, in preparation for our global outreach conference, I preached a biographical message on the life of Amy Carmichael. And over the years, I've done this kind of sermon for a couple reasons. First, because it sets our sights on the critical importance of foreign missions, of global evangelism. It reminds all of us that missions is not optional. Listen to me, missions is not a program of College Park Church. Missions is the salt and pepper, it's the flavor of everything that we do at College Park. It's not the same as just the individual things that we're engaged in on Sunday. Missions is an overarching calling as a part of the Great Commission. It is what we're called to do. Therefore, missions, hear me, is not optional. I think it is a biblical mandate for all of us in some way to be engaged in foreign missions. Secondly, the reason why I like a biographical sermon is because it makes missions work incarnational, meaning that it attaches the Great Commission and this call to reach the world with the gospel, and it attaches it to real people. I've heard far too many missions messages that try and motivate people by guilting them to give or go. And I find it much more effective to lay before you somebody who got it, who understood the vision, and then went with God-induced zeal, that perhaps God would call some teenagers or young children or single adults or married couples or people at the end of their career. You're called finishers and you're not going to retire in Florida. Nothing wrong with Florida, but you're going to use your retirement to be able to go and do something radical like try and reach some unreached people. And so my aim today is to make missions work incarnational. So this Sunday I want to focus our minds, our hearts on the subject of missions by looking at the life of Hudson Taylor and looking at some scriptures and trying to figure out what are some lessons that we can gain from his life and from his ministry. A million a month dying without God. That was Hudson Taylor's plea with the people of England. A million a month dying without God. Hudson Taylor was an uncommon missionary. He lived from the years of 1832 to 1905. He was a pioneering missionary in the country of China for 51 years. He was the founder of what was called China Inland Mission, or CIM, now known as OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship. He founded CIM in 1865. And in 49 years, it became the largest mission agency, the largest mobilizing agency in the world. Part of the reason was that Taylor possessed a rare combination of faith, charisma, organization, and vision. He was a very unusual man. Frankly, he's not the kind of guy who you would want as an employee. (laughs) You'll see why. His impact on foreign missions was historic and stunning. He was a man who changed the landscape of foreign missions. Ruth Tucker, in her History of Christian Missions, says this about Taylor. No other missionary in the 19th centuries since the Apostle Paul. That's that's a stunning statement. He just got linked with the Apostle Paul. No other missionary in the 19th century since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and carried out a more systematized plan of evangelizing a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. His sights were set on reaching the whole of China, all 400 million people. Incidentally, do you know how many people are in China now? 1.3 billion. 
Hudson Taylor had a God-birthed vision for reaching the unreached people in the interior of China. That's why his organization was called China Inland Mission. There's lots of missions that were going on on the coast. There was a, a thriving missions work, but nobody was reaching the interior of the country. People were moved as he recruited them to join his movement, not by his eloquence or his impressive knowledge. What moved people was Taylor's passion for lost souls. His urgent plea was a million a month dying without God. He pressed the envelope of self-contented English people to be able to loose from their pockets funds to be able to send more missionaries. He called people to leave their homeland and travel all the way to the other side of the world to, to experience hardships and difficulties because reaching unreached peoples was worth it. The heart and life of Hudson Taylor beat for the unreached people in, in the interior of China. And he was not afraid to dream new dreams of new fields for the glory of God or to take great risks to see God move. But he was an ordinary man. In fact, sometimes his faith was viewed as foolish. Which brings me to lesson number one. And it's this. The life of Hudson Taylor and 1 Corinthians chapter 1 remind me that God loves to use what the world considers foolish. Hudson Taylor's life was characterized by a stunning Godward faith and a vision to be able to reach unreached people. And many times in his lifetime, he would be called and marked and ridiculed as a fool for his faith. With, with, with dreams that were too big, desires that were too large, um, implications of what he wanted to do that just couldn't be done. And yet, Taylor's life had great impact. In fact, it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. If you brought your Bible, look at that passage with me. It says this. It was our scripture reading this morning. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world. And he does this for a reason. The text says, in order to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. God's plan is to take things that people would look at and say, that's a throwaway person. There's no way they're going to make a difference. Take people who are like, you're going to do what? You're going to live where? You're going to try and do What? God loves to take those people that the world looks like, looks at and says, that's crazy. And God loves to empower those people because at the end of the day, people will look at their lives and go, there's no way that could have happened except if God was in it. A friend of mine likes to say it this way, you know, if you can explain it, God probably isn't in it. Hmm. The beautiful reality is that even though his dreams were large, his burden was overwhelming, his methods were sometimes controversial, the fact of the matter was God's hand was on him. In spite of his imperfections. That should give you and me some great hope and encouragement. You know why? Because although there's nothing wrong with pursuing intelligence, training, lots of skill, I'm not against quality or excellence, 
But the fact of the matter is that sometimes we can get overdone in our sense of needing to be all of the right people before God can use us in the right way. And Hudson Taylor was a man who had a vision and a heart, and he was so God entranced in his vision for what could happen that he didn't care if he didn't fit the box. He just wanted to go and do something for the glory of God. And there are some of you who believe in your minds that God can't use you because you're not qualified enough. And the story of Hudson Taylor would say, if you have a vision and a great God, you're qualified to be able to do some wonderful things for the glory of God. It's amazing to me how often God uses people in circumstances that seem so weak, so foolish. And the reason why God does that is very clear. Look at verse 29. He does it so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It is so that at the end of the day, the testimony of his faithful servants will be, it wasn't me, and we all know it, it was God working through me. Hudson Taylor's vision was fueled by something. His zeal was fueled by a Godward life. It's a phrase that he used, meaning a heart that was transfixed with being dependent upon his God. And it was from this God-centeredness that, that Taylor had almost a supernatural dependence and, a, and really the gift of faith. In his autobiography, he describes his philosophy of ministry. I want to read this quote together. It says, It is always helpful to us to fix our attention on the Godward aspects of Christian work. To realize that the work of God, this is really important, does not mean so much man's work for God as God's own work through man. Please get that. In our privileged position of fellow workers with him, while recognizing all the benefits and blessings to be bestowed on a sin-stricken world through the proclamation of the gospel, we should never lose sight of the higher aspect of our work, that of obedience to God, of bringing glory to his name, of gladdening the heart of our God and Father by living and serving as his obedient children. Get that. Gladdening the heart of God. Do you realize that your faithful, weak service empowered by the Spirit of God, gladdens the heart of your God. You make God glad. And that is why you live. You live for His glory. Hudson Taylor came to Christ at age 17 under the influence of a godly father and mother who had prayed that God would give them a missions-minded son. Question. How many parents in this room pray that over their children? How many parents in this room pray, God, give me a missions-minded son? Or do you just pray, keep him safe? Help not to get sick? In some cases, our whole mentality of why we raise children and everything is just broken when it comes to how Hudson Taylor and his family viewed life. I mean, for, for many people in our culture, the, even who name the name of Christ, their goal in life is to raise kids so they can get into a good school, so they can get a good job, so they can make good money, so that they can have good kids who can go to a good school, so they can make lots of money, so that their kids can go to a good school, so they can get a good job. And that's the cycle. That is the world in which we live. That is the... The, the, the eminent mentality 
And in the midst of that, my question for all of us to think through today is what is it that we pray over our kids? Do we say, God, give my children a global vision of you? Or do we just want to get to the soccer game on time? Want our kid to be on the starting five in the new basketball team? Hudson Taylor came to faith in Christ after reading a tract that he found in his father's library. And after he came to Christ, he learned that his mother and sister had earnestly prayed for a number of weeks over his genuine conversion. He, he learned from his parents and the praying of his family that the promises of the Bible were very real and that prayer was simply sort of a, a sober, matter-of-fact, transacting business with God. This sense of, we have a need, let's talk to God about it. So prayer was this, this reality within the Taylor home. After his conversion, Taylor felt a clear and strong call of God to China. Describes it that one day he was just reading in the scriptures, and all of a sudden God impressed one word upon his heart, China. And it was as rock solid, wasn't an audible voice, just this compelling China. And that was it, called China. After his conversion, after his sense of calling, he began to prepare himself for missionary service. What's interesting is that rather than wait until he got to the mission field to learn certain things, he began projecting what he would need to learn in the mission field, and so he began to practice those things in present tense in his life. In other words, he knew he was going to endure hardship, and so he began living in hardship. He changed his living arrangements only the most, to the most Spartan conditions, and he removed most of his creature comforts. His mentality was, if it's going to be hard over there, let's get hard now, so that we won't have a major life change. He also began economizing. His diet was restrictive. Spending was reduced. And he said this, The less I spend on myself and the more I give away, the fuller my happiness and blessing in my world becomes. He also learned prayerful dependence. He said, When I get to China... I shall have no claim on anyone for anything. My only claim will be on God. How important, therefore, to learn before leaving England to move man through prayer by God alone. This is what marks his life so dramatically. To move man by prayer through God alone. Hudson Taylor is often called the father of faith missions. He discovered that the best way to reach the Chinese people was through medicine. And so he began training in medicine. But he wasn't just committed to training in medicine. He was committed to the holistic training of his life in order to really learn all the spiritual lessons that he felt like he needed to learn before going to China. Particularly, he wanted to learn how to really depend upon the Lord in prayer. The story illustrates this. His employer had asked him to remind him when his, page, his wages needed to be paid. And yet Taylor wanted to learn how to trust in God, so he refused to remind his employer as to when he needed to be paid. He prayed that God would simply move the heart of his boss. Well, the time came for his rent to be due, and he now had a problem because his faith was now colliding with his obligations. If he didn't get paid, how was he going to pay his rent? And then his faith 
test would now have a negative effect on somebody else. So he was stuck. At the close of the office, his employer said, By the way, when was I supposed to pay you? Taylor, thinking this was the answer to his prayer, informed him that it was some time ago. (laughs) And he was filled with joy that God had moved his employer through prayer. But then his employer said, but now it's too late. The banks are closed. We'll have to settle up on Monday. And Taylor was distraught because he now would have to tell his landlady that he couldn't pay her the rent. So he decided to stay late at the office that night, getting ready to go home about 10 o'clock in the evening, and suddenly he heard his employer come in, and his employer was laughing because a wealthy businessman, wealthy patient, insisted that he pay his bill that night in cash. The reason was, is that the patient told his employer, "I I couldn't rest. I was restless, and I couldn't rest until this bill was paid. The doctor Taylor's employer noted the payment in his book and then started to leave. And then he stopped in turn and said to Hudson Taylor, well, why don't you just take this cash as your payment? And Taylor's need was met. This kind of faithful, risk-taking, dependent prayer was at the heart of Taylor's life and ministry. Later on in life, he'll be influenced by another person who was characterized by this kind of faith movement, one by the name of George Mueller. Lesson number two. The second lesson is this. Is that a passion for missions is fueled by God-centeredness. This is really important for you to understand that at the core of Hudson Taylor was this God-centeredness and out of this God-centeredness came this unbelievable passion for missions. It's important for you to note that he was dependent upon the Lord in his God-centeredness even before he was a missionary. So God-centered dependency was a product of his life, not just his ministry. In other words, Taylor's passion for God was the fuel that extended into his missionary service. So then missions was just an extension, an overflow of his passions for God. You know the text in John 15. Jesus says this in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear much fruit by itself... As the, excuse me, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what, church? Nothing. Nothing. It's a good reminder that God-centered passion is not created on the mission field. God-centered passion is not created in the ministry. God-centered passion is tested there. Why do I say that? I say that because I want to remind those of you who have dreams or desires of ministry or dreams and desires of some sort of service that God-centered passion will not suddenly appear when you land on the field. It will not suddenly appear when you enter into the ministry. It will not suddenly appear when you finally get your first counseling case. It won't appear when you finally have your Sunday school class. If God-centered passion isn't a part of your life now, it's not going to show up when you change your field of service. On the contrary, facilitating, fostering, Fanning into flame, God-centered passion creates an overflow from the heart of which missions and ministry is a part. Let me apply that in your home. 
Don't expect your high school senior to have a passion for ministry when he goes off to college if you've not introduced him to ministry throughout his entire upbringing at home. Don't expect your child to have a concern for other people, unreached people around the world, if you won't reach out to your neighbor who's different than you. Don't expect your kids to suddenly have a global view of what God is if all your friends are the same color, the same stripe, the same group. Don't don't expect your family to have major impact in a significant way in a foreign mission setting when your impact in the present place that you are is somehow weak or anemic. You see, God-centered passion is the fuel that that creates momentum when it comes to, to, to missions in all ministry. So Taylor left for China in September of 1853. He arrived in Shanghai in the spring of 1854. Note that. September to spring. No Skype, no email, no jets. You get in a boat and you hope you survive. And if you do, you're there seven months later. When he got onto the field, he was looked down upon by the other missionaries. There were setbacks. There was a poorly organized mission board. He tried to learn the Chinese language. There were financial difficulties. And as well, he was forced now to live with other missionaries whose lifestyles and godliness were questionable to him. You mark it down. People are people, whether in your small group, your Sunday school class, your neighborhood, your church, or on the foreign mission field. People are people. And, and working with people is hard work. Taylor decided to make a journey into the interior of China, and at one point he visited 60 different settlements that had never seen a Protestant missionary before. It was a thrilling time. He could see the new field. But he also discovered something troubling, that the people that he visited with were more interested in his Western apparel. He was from Britain. And so he had British clothes and an English accent and all the things that went along with that. And they were more interested in his manners, his customs, and his dress. And so therefore he did something that would forever mark him and was very controversial. He ditched British clothing and adopted Chinese dress. He shaved his head. Sandy-haired, blue-eyed Englishman was bald with a Chinese black pigtail. And spectacles. As a result, he found freedom to move through the country. It was wonderfully successful. He could preach Christ in an undistracted way, although his, his biography tells about just tripping over the shoes that he had to wear because they were so small. But his choice cost him the ridicule of his other missionaries who didn't like that he was dressing in the native garb and also the concern of his family back home. They thought he'd gone off the deep end. And for that matter... He had, (laughs) gloriously so. Eventually in 1857, so frustrated he was with his method and style of ministry compared to his mission board, he left his mission board and began working independently. And through a variety of circumstances, ended up living in Nigpo on the coast of China, and there he met what would become his wife, Maria Dreyer. They were married, and Hudson Taylor took over a hospital ministry. It wasn't too long till he realized he didn't have enough training to run the hospital, and so he returned to England in 1860. That trip would prove to be historic. While they were in England, Taylor completed his medical training, but he also worked on a translation of the New Testament, and it was there that he formed the China Inland Mission. 
CIM was built on Taylor's passion for lost souls, and it had two, maybe three radical approaches. The first was he could not wait for educated, ordained ministers to go, and so Taylor recruited his missionaries from the dedicated working class of England's blue-collar groupings of people. Secondly, in order to avoid the appearance of relying on human resources, the missionaries did not take offerings or made any form of direct appeals. They were, depend, they were to depend entirely upon God for meeting their needs. They would move man through God by prayer. And the third one was they would all adopt Chinese dress. Taylor's influence on England during this season was stunning. He became friends with the renowned London pastor, Charles Spurgeon, who became a lifelong supporter. Spurgeon said about Taylor, China, China, China is ringing on our ears in that peculiar, special, musical, forceful, and unique way in which Mr. Taylor utters it. In 1866, Taylor, with a group of 15 other missionaries, set sail for China. But the reality of working with a group of people and launching a new ministry was very difficult. The early days of CIM were fraught with all sorts of personal conflicts and difficulties as they adjusted to this new field. Living conditions were more difficult than what they thought, and even getting these new recruits to actually shave their heads and dress in Chinese apparel met with hostility. Starting the new work was very difficult, and it looked as though the whole thing would about was about to implode. And then in 1867, Gracie Taylor, their eight-year-old daughter, became seriously ill and eventually died. And the death of their daughter proved to be the deciding moment to reunite these fractured missionaries into a singular vision, and it brought them back together again. Lesson number three. The most powerful message is your life's message. Hudson Taylor had an uncanny gift for recruitment and for inspiring people with vision for China. But what you need to understand is that his message was rooted in his life. Hudson Taylor was all in when it came to China. It was his life's calling. Question, what's your calling? What is it that you're all in about? If I was to hang around with you for a week, what would I see? What are you called to? What has God put on your heart? Every single person in this room has a divine calling upon them. The question is, what is it? It doesn't have to be foreign missions, but it's got to be something. God doesn't have you on this earth just to make you comfortable. He doesn't have you on this earth just to be able to pursue the American dream. He doesn't have you on this earth just to be able to have a career. He has you on the earth for a mission. And the question is, what in the world is it? God often chooses to take a message and place it, embed it in the life of his followers. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body in the body, the death of Jesus. Here's why. Listen carefully. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. What is he saying there? 
He's saying we carry in us the present dying of Jesus so that our lives can manifest, can declare, can be mere images of the glory of Christ. So Hudson Taylor reminds us that ministry happens not by word alone, that ministry happens through a person's life. It means that you cannot separate the man from the message. And that people who have been mightily used by God were not only people who spoke the right words, they lived the right words in light of what they spoke. So listen, ministry is not just what you do. Ministry is who you are. And that's why Hudson Taylor's life was so impactful. The focal point of their mission was to reach the interior people of China. So their strategy was to dispatch these CIM missionaries all into the interior regions and to set up missionary stations all over the interior areas. One such station was in a city called Yangchow. Now, you better not just remember this little fact, okay? But there's somebody who was a ruler in there in the 13th century that your kids talk about when they swim in a pool. What? Ready? Here goes. Marco. All right, there we go. You got it. So you, you have no idea who Marco Polo is. Marco Polo was the ruler in the city of Yangchow to which the... CIM missionaries went. The people of Yangchow were not amenable to the missionary presence. Rumors began to spread that they were a strange lot. They, they ministered to orphans and, and, and took in orphaned babies. And a rumor began to spread that they, they ate them. It's crazy. They, they took care of these, but enough people said it enough times that pretty soon, like 8,000 people had gathered around their compound and began attacking it. People believed these lives. The, the mission compound was stormed. They set it on fire. And the missionaries barely escaped with their lives. News of the incident reached all the way back to England. And politicians in Parliament used the incident to dispatch the Royal Navy. Because the Chinese citizens had attacked British citizens. And there was almost a war. The conflict ended without military incident. But the London Times blamed the whole controversy on China Inland Mission, and the negative publicity was deadly to CIM. Financial support plummeted. Recruits suddenly lost interest. I mean, what are you going to do if you're in China and you got bad press releases in, the London, in London? By the time you took a boat back over there to explain it, it'd be seven months later. And yet the missionaries went back to Yangchow. They planted a church there and converted many, many people. And the reason that the Yangchow people were open to their ministry was, was, was because of their relentless passion to go back into the city that had formerly been filled with people who had abused them. God chose to bless Hudson Taylor, but you need to know, not without great price. The negative publicity of the Yangchow incident the attacks that came on Hudson Taylor were personal, and the next two years of his life would be exceedingly trying. Just when the ministry was seeming to take off, hard providence hit. Under the pressure of the international negative publicity, Hudson Taylor suffered a near mental collapse. In 1870, his five-year-old son, Sammy, died, and then he and Maria made the difficult decision to send their children to England to, to complete their education 
In July of the same year, she had a problematic delivery with a baby boy named Noel, probably connected to cholera. And Maria's health was so poor after delivery that she was unable to nurse him. I mean, this never happens here. We don't hear about stuff like this. Two weeks later, the baby boy, Noel, dies because of malnutrition. I mean, that's just, that's just tragic. And if they would have been in England, that probably would have never happened. And then, several days after Noel's passing, Maria died. She was 33 years old. Noel was the third child that the Taylors had buried in China. If I've figured it out right, six of their nine children died during their lifetime. A grieving Taylor returned to England to heal, to report about the work, and to renew his time with his children that he had sent for their education. And in a year or two later, God provided another missionary help meet. Her name was Jenny Falding, a single missionary in China. However, hard providence that the Lord would have for them wasn't done because Jenny conceived twins, and in 1873 they both were born stillborn. In 1874, Taylor fell and was nearly paralyzed from the fall. And and I find this to be so common, that you trace out a person's life who's been greatly used by God, and there is typically, I won't say always, but there is typically a, a season, a moment, a lifetime where deep personal pain comes. And yet in this, in this season, God was using Taylor in a profound way. In the midst of his crucible of suffering, some of his greatest stuff was being done for God's glory. He published an appeal for 18 new workers to go to China. He wrote a book called China's Millions. He was also influential on the famous Stud family, who were renowned for their skills in cricket. C.T. Studd was like the Tiger Woods of golf, and he surrendered to go to foreign, to go to, to go to China, along with seven other Cambridge University students, became known as the, the Cambridge Seven. And Hudson Taylor was instrumental in their recruitment. As Hudson and Jenny began traveling back and forth from England and China, they began to have a, a, a new vision. Hudson calculated that if he could find a thousand evangelists and if they could preach to 250 people a day, the whole of China could hear the gospel in three years. I mean, it's a ridiculous vision. A thousand people preach to 250 a day. We could reach the whole of China. But by 1882, CIM had entered every province in the country. And in 1895, the mission had 640 people investing their lives in China. Did he hit the target? No, but he dreamed an impossible dream. As well, his influence in the United States was growing. In the 1880s, he preached at the Niagara Bible Conference, became friends with C.I. Schofield, traveled to Chicago, and ministered along with D.L. Moody. God had anointed and placed Hudson Taylor for a particular window of time because the window for missions in China was drawing to a close. In 1900, in June... An imperial decree was issued from Peking ordering the death of all foreigners and the extermination of Christianity. And what followed was the greatest holocaust in Protestant mission history. 135 missionaries, 53 missionary children were murdered in the uprising. 
In Shangxi province alone, 91 CIM missionaries became martyrs for their faith, and Taylor was in Switzerland at the time recuperating from physical exhaustion. And then in 1904, just a few years later, his beloved wife Jenny died. Taylor returned to China one last time, and one month after arriving on site, he died in the land he loved, China. Lesson four. Listen, some of the best suffer the most. It is amazing to me how often I find that the people who made the greatest impact for the kingdom of Christ suffer the most. It reminds me that great victories are won through deep personal pain, which is a real help to those of you who are in the crucible right now. And you wonder, how in the world can God ever use me again with this level of pain? Listen, God uses pain as the training school for future ministry. Jesus said this, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I've heard it said so many times, and I find it to be true, that before God can use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. And why does he do that? This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. Indeed, we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises men from the dead. You see, reliance upon God is forged in the furnace of suffering, and therefore some of the best must suffer the most. In 1950, 1950, after the communist takeover, CIM would be officially expelled from China after a hundred years of ministry there. But in the meantime, Taylor's impact on foreign missions was enormous. At his death in 1905, there were 205 mission stations, 849 missionaries, 125,000 Chinese Christians, and Taylor became known as the father of the modern faith missions movement. His writings influenced Amy Carmichael, Jim Elliott, and countless others. CIM had become the greatest mobilizing force in the world up until 1914. One person summarized Taylor's contribution to mission. This is Ralph Winter who said this, with only trade school medicine, without any university experience, much less missiological training and a checkered past in regard to his own behavior while he was on the field, he was merely one of the more weak things that God used to confound the wise. Even his anti-church planting missionary strategy was breathlessly erroneous by today's standards. Yet God strangely honored him because his gaze was fixed upon the world's unreached peoples. Hudson Taylor had a divine wind behind him. You see, Hudson Taylor was a man on a mission from God. He had a divine wind behind him that led him to focus his energies on how to be able to reach the unreached people of China. Regardless of his giftings, regardless of his imperfections, regardless of the pain, he was a man with a vision for how to reach a million a month who were dying without God. 
And I think that his lasting legacy and the singular lesson that I want all of you to hear this morning is this, that reaching the unreached peoples requires a God-centered vision, a relentless passion, and personal sacrifice. As Nate Irwin, our pastor for Global Outreach, says often, the unreached people are unreached for a reason. And one of the reasons that they're unreached is because our God vision is too small, our passion isn't relentless, and our sacrifice isn't personal. It takes money and tears and goodbyes and distance and hardship to be able to reach unreached peoples. And Hudson Taylor is a reminder that without God-centered vision and without relentless passion and without personal sacrifice, unreached people will not be reached. Hudson Taylor said uncomfortable things to try and awaken a overly comfortable society in England with the problems of trying to reach unreached peoples. And what keeps him going? What, what kept him going? And what would keep you going? Over one of the entrances to the China Inland Missions buildings in London, there was a scripture from Mark 11, verse 22, and I think it's the key. The text was meaningful to Hudson Taylor. It was pivotal to his life, and it is so critical to reaching the unreached. The passage is this. Have faith in God. That was the thing that marked Hudson Taylor. And that is the thing that makes all the difference in the world in being able to meet the needs and reach the unreached to be able to reach out to people who will never hear unless we do something about it. This is as practical as what will happen at the end of the year when we take an offering to do something to reach unreached people. And in order for us to do that, we have to have faith in God to release funds to be able to reach unreached peoples. To be able to look at a checkbook and say to each other, husband and wife, let's have some faith in God because these people need to hear. A million a month dying without God. It was a vision birthed in faith. So Father, give us faith to see The same vision that Hudson Taylor saw, not just for China, but for countless other countries and people groups that have no no witness, no ability to hear. Lord, help us to know what our part is as individual people within this congregation. We are grateful that we have received the good news of the gospel, and yet... Oh, God, help us to not be the kind of folks who hoard it or hide it and somehow turn our hearts away from people around the world who have yet to hear. Give us a global vision for the nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.